The first two practices of the Dan Lanning era are in the books. Early takeaways from Oregon spring football before the players leave for spring break. In Oregon basketball, not in the field of 68 in the NCAA tournament, which is disappointing. Final thoughts recapping their season this year in the 2021-22 campaign. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster, lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view on YouTube every day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source, to stay up to date with all things Oregon athletics. Like and subscribe if you have not already, wherever you are listening to this show, or if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Those subscription numbers on YouTube continue to go up, and we love to see that. Nice reviews on podcasts, nice comments anywhere. We love seeing those as well. Today's episode is brought to you by Run Your Pool. March Madness is here. As I record this, the Field of 68 revealed just a few hours ago. Glorious. March Madness is here, and Run Your Pool has a better way to create your bracket. RunYourPool.com, the premier sports pool hosting service. We'll get to some basketball later, even though Oregon is not in March Madness this year. We'll just get to all of that. But right now, there is a great thing, a grand, glorious, fantastic, beautiful thing to talk about. Oregon football players, under the direction of Dan Lanning, are back at practice. I know. I know. I'm as excited as you are. We're not talking about games, Allen Iverson. We're just talking about practice. And guess what? Gets my juices flowing anyway, because it is fantastic. So, a couple of things uh, worthy of note. First of all, Dan Lanning looks good in green and yellow. He really does. I mean, if you look at it just from an objective standpoint, and I'm as objective as you could possibly be on the subject, just from an objective standpoint, he looks better in green and yellow than he does in the black and red and whatever other colors Georgia has down there. Not really that in tune with it, but I think he looks good. He looks confident. He is just, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of how he looks in the, in the Oregon green and yellow. There's no official depth chart yet with the the first two practices in the books that will come later. I'm sure once the coaches remember this is a new staff and a lot of these players, they haven't seen a lot before. And, you know, once that two deep comes out, which I presume will be closer to the spring game, April 23rd, mark your calendars down. Any of you duck fans in the Oregon area pack Autzen stadium on April 23rd. We want to show that it's uh, that, that there's a great amount of community support behind the Oregon football program, which we already know there is. We want to show that to the new players, prospective recruits, all that sort of stuff. So if you're in the Oregon area, get down to Autzen Stadium on April 23rd. I can't imagine tickets would really be that bad. So those are the first couple of things. Next couple of things, housekeeping issue off the top. And this will be something that, w- that will come up in, uh, in, in coming episodes. It'll be a recurring theme so that you can stay up to date with it. But There are some number changes for Oregon Ducks players, and we'll have to watch that in the spring game and then this upcoming season as well. Get them in your subconscious now so that by the time April 23rd comes around, you can know these guys like the back of your hand. Seven McGee is wearing number seven. Yes, we knew that one. And that is the best one. That is easily the best. Seven wearing number seven. Yeah, I'm I'm all about it. Mace Funa, the linebacker, goes from number 47 to number 18. Chris Hudson. 
sort of ironically goes to number one because he might be our number one receiver coming into 2022. He's certainly the most experienced in an Oregon uniform. Chase Cota has played more football than he has, but Chris Hudson is our most productive returning receiver this year. So he's wearing number one. Ty Thompson is wearing number 13. Dante Thornton, another receiver we've talked about here on the pod, is number two. So is DJ Johnson, by the way. He's wearing number two, who is changing positions again to outside linebacker. He's been tight end, defensive end. He came to Oregon originally as a linebacker. He's just moving all over the place. Very versatile guy. Isaiah Crocker, wide receiver. He's number six, taking Jalen Red's number. Terrence Ferguson, a tight end, is number three. He was number 19. Spencer Webb, who was number 18, is now number four. I don't know if there's some sort of weird tight end synergy there in terms of being one number away from each other. Uh, and Ferguson and Webb, by the way, look very similar when they play on the field. Good hands, about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, or so. I, I like what both of them are, are able to do at the tight end position. They're kind of you know receiving-oriented tight ends, whereas Montevao is a little bit more of a blocker. Christian Gonzalez comes in as number zero for the Ducks. That was DJ James' number a season ago. And again, a little bit ironic because he's probably going to replace DJ James as one of Oregon's starting corners this year. Sam Taimani, the Washington transfer, is number 55. Those are all the most relevant number changes. Numbers are such a funny thing because in the grand scheme of things, do they really matter? Not particularly. But if you're watching or listening to this and you've played sports before, when jerseys were getting handed out and numbers were getting selected, you always wanted the number that you wanted. And it's just, it's completely mental. It's completely mental, right? But the reason these guys are changing numbers is because they want to. And it's about how they feel. And you know what? If that's what's going to make you feel confident, by all means, by all means, go for it. I say <laughs> fire away and, you know, whatever you have to do to be at your best come game day. What have we actually seen from Oregon football practice? I'll tell you after I tell you that March Madness is this week. As I record this on Sunday evening, March Madness is literally a few days away. I can't wait. Are you going for the usual for your bracket pools this year, or are you going for the best? We've done our homework. We're running our brackets with runyourpool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X. They have options to edit scoring. They offer more intel, stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS, which is where March Madness is really based nowadays. Clearly, we believe in Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us here at Locked On for a shot at a cash prize up to $1,800, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. While you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on. Today's episode also brought to you by Stat Hero. I love March Madness, and I love March Madness brackets. It is my favorite sporting event in the world. I've told you that before. I will tell you that again. But I can't actually remember the last time I went deep or even won any money in March Madness because it's so hard. I'm hedging my bets this year with Stat Heroes NCAA Pick'em Contests. Stat Heroes NCAA Single Game Pick'ems pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. That's what you call an elite combination. It's like chocolate and peanut butter. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero simply chooses the best sets of players for you to take on with a set of players that you choose. So they provide the pool. You get to pick the ones that you want. Simple and sleek gameplay. It'll have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Check out Stat Hero today. So. 
the takeaways that we've seen from Oregon's first two football practices. Number one, Dan Lanning, apparently uh, this lessened a little bit in practice number two, but in the first one, he was coming on the mic a lot to, you know, kind of say, all right, this is what we're doing now. All right, now we're going to go over and do this. And I kind of like that because it's establishing, establishing a presence, right? You have to have that as a head coach. You want, you shouldn't have to tell everyone that you're the head coach, right? The old saying is, if you have to say that you're the head coach, you're not the head coach. So I, I, I just kind of like that. And it's, it's a fun note, not, not hugely impactful, but here are the things that have stood out the most to me from what I've heard following along with these practices over, over the last few days. Currently for these Oregon spring practices, there are two scholarship running backs on the roster. Jordan James isn't here yet because he's class of 2022. So he has to finish up high school and get to Oregon probably sometime in, in the summer, closer to the fall. Reading that really crystallized for me just how thin we are at the running back position. Aaron Smith, a walk-on, is still on the roster, and he did a lot of nice things last year in Oregon spring game, but he's never seen legitimate playing time. And Sean Dollars and Byron Cardwell Jr., it's their running back room. It is all that. I mean, there's two scholarship running backs on the roster because you have got no more Travis Dye, no more CJ Verdell, no more Trey Benson. That's just a lot of bodies to lose. And it would have been nice to get Jarek Broussard. I, I was a fan of that move. The running back from Colorado, he was the freshman of the year uh, in, in 2020 in the Pac-12. I would have been a fan of that move. He went to Michigan State instead. And boy, that's um, it's just not a lot of guys to have at a really physical position of running back. So that's the first thing that stands out. There's only two scholarship running backs there. So other guys going to be getting some carries here in the early going. Uh, a couple positional notes. Triquez Bridges ran with the safeties. Now, he's been playing corner for, uh, you know, the last time we saw him, he was playing cornerback. He was recruited as a safety, actually. I'm really not sure about Oregon safeties. There are a number of positions I am sure about. Linebacker, defensive line, except for defensive end. Hope we can get Mitchell Agude from UCLA. I think he could really fit what Oregon is looking to do here defensively in a 4-3 scheme with Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoi as they're you know, running the defensive side of the ball. But the safeties are a big question mark because no more of our own McKinley. And we'll see what happens at strong safety. So it's just sort of up in the air. He ran with the safeties in some early drills in the first practice. And does that mean he's at safety on the depth chart? Not necessarily. Things could change, right? These are just the early reports. I'm commenting on what we have seen so far. But that's what that's something that stood out to me and honestly makes a lot of sense because he was recruited as a safety. Oregon doesn't have that many bodies at the safety position. And with Jaleel Tucker and Jaleel Florence, Coming into this year's class, along with Kamari Terrell, who will be here later, Oregon kind of has a lot of bodies at DB in terms of the cornerback slot. And safety's a little bit thinner, and we don't know how that's going to shape out. So I think Triquez Bridge is a guy that's really interesting to follow. He's a big body. I think he's 6'4", 6'3", 6'4", right? The, the Oregon corners that have had success recently, Diamondor Lenore, Thomas Graham, uh, you know, Holland is a safety. He was a little bit bigger, but those guys, they were, they were not particularly huge bodies. They've projected more as sort of nickelbacks in the NFL. Ugo Amadi, another guy who's recently found success, uh, in, in having a role in the NFL. 
they're all smaller and Bridges is a lot bigger. So that was sort of a nice change up in that sense. But right now it looks like Gonzalez and Dante Manning are sort of the top two corners. But, you know, as spring practice rolls along and we, we see the depth chart whenever it comes out, we'll see where that uh, where that ends up, where that ends up being. But I thought that was worthy of note. Uh, I'll, I'll close with Jeffrey Bossa. DJ Johnson, I mentioned earlier, switching to outside linebacker after being a, a tight end slash defensive end. He had the game-clinching sack in Columbus against Ohio State. He has had some really big catch. He had a, a touchdown reception in the Pac-12 championship game against USC two years ago. He He's just been all over the place, doing a little bit here, a little bit there. He's a really big guy, and he is. Uh, this is now his fifth season with the Ducks actually on the roster. And he switched to number two. He has changed his number every year he's been at Oregon. He's changed his position three or four times. I'm fascinated to see what they do with him because clearly he has a tremendous amount of positional versatility, but he just hasn't quite found a home. And really, we'll see if that ends up being the case at outside linebacker. I kind of liked him at the defensive end spot. I thought he did some pretty good things, but you know, maybe they want him to be a linebacker who blitzes from the second level, or maybe they will just end up, you know, in a three, four sub package, stand him up on the end because that's the kind of player that he can be. We'll just have to see what this defensive staff does. Speaking of what the defensive staff might do with a certain player, Jeffrey Boss, I think is the most interesting singular positional examination. That was a lot of really big words. <laughs> was he is the most interesting player to look at on an individual level in this offseason for the Oregon Ducks and this staff. Now, he was running drills on the first day, and this continued into the second day, is my understanding as well. He he's been running drills with the inside linebackers, and he's listed as an inside linebacker. This could change. The previous staff had said that he was going to move back to safety. And based on what we saw from him in the Alamo Bowl. I think that's when he would be at his at his best. I, I really believe that. What you want from a strong safety is someone who has the speed and, you know, sort of slender enough build to move around and cover if you want to go too deep or, or if you're in a cover four. But also a strong safety has to come into the box and play with range and be able to hit hard. I just think Boss's body type fits that really, really well. I hope this staff makes that change. I think that's where he would be at his most effective is playing strong safety. But right now they've got him working with the inside linebackers where I think he's just a touch undersized. He played there a season ago. And so it's not like he can't play that position. I just think with the depth that Oregon has at that position with Mace Funa there and Justin Flo coming back and Noah Sewell there and Keith Brown and uh, guys coming in this class, Harrison Taggart among them, Devin Jackson, there are a lot of bodies at the linebacker position, and safety is a bigger question mark. So I would like to see him go back towards the secondary and be a strong safety who, who plays in the box a lot. He, just, he tackles in space so well, so, so well. We saw that against Oklahoma, and that's what Oregon needs from a strong safety. It's what everybody wants. You have to be able to tackle in space when you come down into the box, and I think Bossa can do that at a really, really high level. So first two days of Oregon spring practice in the books. Oregon's 2021-22 NCAA tournament hopes also in the books. Final thoughts from their season wrapping up in the quarterfinals against Colorado. But first, I want to tell you this episode episode is brought to you by Bet Online. It's that time of year again, Duck fans. The NCAA tournament, the big dance, is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, betonline.net 
is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. Bet Online remains the best spot for all your sports cores, scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting, wagering, information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. I can't wait for March Madness. I can't. I've been talking about it for weeks on this pod. I held out hope that Oregon could make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. It wasn't meant to be, you know, and that's a difficult thing to ask a team to do, win four games in four days with a conference that ultimately only ends up sending three teams to the big dance this year, Arizona, UCLA, and USC. Oregon almost beat Arizona, should have beaten them down in Tucson, split with USC, beat UCLA twice. Which just reinforces what we've talked about here on the show. Oregon basketball was capable of getting to the tournament. It just didn't come together this year. And it's not what we wanted. It's certainly not what we expected. And before I get into the season, I want to get ahead of this just in case. I haven't seen it in a major way. I'm just saying I want to be ahead of the curve, preparing for every scenario here. Dana Altman should be our head coach now until he demonstrates year after year that he's lost the ability to coach, which he's never done. He has won literally everywhere that he has been. He should not be going anywhere. He is an elite college basketball coach. He's never won fewer than 20 games in his career. And Oregon, should they participate in postseason this year, will have a chance to get to that 20-win threshold again. They win 19 in the regular season in Pac-12 tournament. I understand that's not what we were going for this year, but he has never won fewer than 20 games in his career with the Ducks. This is his 12th season. So if Oregon plays in a postseason tournament, obviously it won't be the, the big dance, but if Oregon plays in one, gets to 20 wins, he will have never had fewer than 20 wins in 12 seasons. That's remarkable. He is also, including this year, when they beat the Beavs and then lost to Colorado, a game they definitely should have won. Talked about it last week. Won't go back into it. Dane Altman is 21-8 and eight in the Pac-12 tournament. That's an unconscionable number. You've won two-thirds of your games as a coach in a win-or-go-home situation in a conference that, for the most part, has at least been respectable over the last several years. Three teams of the tournament, that, that, that's not great, but... Over the last 10 years or so, the Pac-12 has had plenty of good teams. And I don't care what Power 5 conference you're in. You've won two-thirds of your games. Dane Allman, that guy is just a phenomenal basketball coach. And it just didn't all fall into place this year. And that's the way sports go. It, it's really hard. The other team's trying to win, too. It's really hard to win year after year after year after year. It's the hardest thing to do. It's just like in golf. Finding consistency is the toughest thing about the game. The same thing in any sport. Being consistent is so challenging because of everything that goes into having to have a team that can win at a high level. And Dane Altman's teams have usually done that this year. It didn't all come together, but good things happened, right? There were still good things that we can reflect upon this season and say, boy, that was fun, or hey, that was good, or that's encouraging. First of all, you beat the Beavs three times. Now, the Beavers ended the year three and 28. But you didn't lose to him. <laughs> so, so I guess it's like in Caddyshack. So I got that going for me. But, you know, I just think that you can't undersell 
how you need to appreciate no matter what your rival is doing, right? Rivalry games, teams are always going to get up for them. You beat the Beavs three times. That's fun. That's that's a good time. Oregon and Dane Altman specifically finally won at Colorado. It's a big mental hurdle to get over. It's not an easy thing to do. Winning on the road, as we learned up at the Washington schools in the final week of the regular season, it's a tough thing to do. Swept the mountain schools, Colorado and Utah for the first time ever. Got that first win in Boulder. That great run in the middle of the season, beating the L.A. schools in the same week, almost knocking off number one Baylor, getting the season sweep with UCLA. There were a lot of good things that this team did, but as far as team results go, that's kind of where the good news starts and ends. It's a shorter list than we would like after a promising early season win way back in November, I believe it was, against SMU. There were just some stumbles, and you lose to a St. Mary's team, who turns out to be a five seed in the NCAA tournament, by the way. Uh, it's a, that's a good team in the Gales. They can certainly win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. But the, the team just never found that continuity and consistency and that drive to come out and, and play closer to their ceiling night in and night out. They were closer to their floor on a game-by-game basis, and that's you know what was disappointing and frustrating for us as fans. But there were also some individual performances that, as I think ahead to next year, I I hope carry over. I think definitely can carry over. The big guys, who I've talked about plenty on this show, Frank Kepnong and Folly Dante, did so many good things and just grew a lot. That's a big part of college basketball, is how your young players grow from one year to the next. Gonzaga's really well known for this. They have guys who hardly play, average one or two points a game one year, and then all of a sudden, they're all-conference performers, averaging 12 to 14 points a game the next year. And then by their following season, they're NBA draft picks. Rui Hachimura comes to mind for the Washington Wizards. He was a guy who barely plays first year, played a little a second, and then was with the Zags for either one or two more years, And he was an absolute stud. That's just what they do. And you need to see that sort of development, particularly in in basketball, because guys often come into college basketball as really raw prospects who can develop. But you get the opportunity to do so more than in football because playing time is more readily available since you don't have nearly as many guys on the roster. Football's got more guys on the field, but they have, you know, way more players on the roster as well. So I liked what I saw from Kepnong and Dante this year. I thought they did a really nice job. Uh, of rebounding and blocking shots at a fairly consistent rate all season long. They did a good job of staying out of foul trouble for the most part. The offensive games, they're coming along. I think Frank's is a little bit more refined than, than Enfali's right now, but Dante showed the potential to, you know, win some one-on-ones from time to time. Both are comfortable finishing around the rim when they get a dish from a guard. I liked all of that. And I, I really hope that both will be back for Oregon basketball come November when their season begins again. And, you know, I've no idea exactly what the roster is going to look like, and that'll be a subject of an upcoming show. But another guy I hope is on there, Quincy Garrier. I loved what I saw from Quincy Garrier, particularly down the stretch. When you look at his game-by-game results this year, he had a lot of single-digit scoring in the first couple months of the year, and there were a couple times where he popped. But he averaged like 17 a game, On 40% shooting from three-point land over the last five games for the Ducks, he was really, really big. He had a nice game down against Arizona. He was just, he was in a nice offensive rhythm. I think he's got a good inside-out game. He's a big body who can get his own shot. Those were the individual performances that stood out the most. Jacob Young is done with college basketball. Davion Harmon, Will Richardson, their futures are uncertain. But 
as you could probably imagine, we will be following all of that sort of news right up to next season and all the way through it every day right here on Locked on Ducks. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.